Hello and welcome to the April 2022 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh. For entirely self-inflicted reasons, I'm recording this episode first thing on a Monday morning, so apologies if I sound even more sleepy and incoherent than usual. Steve Lee will be joining me later on to talk about the increasing focus on outcomes for members of DC schemes, but first let's take a look at what's been happening in the world of pensions since our last episode. The news over the last month has been dominated by the conflict in Ukraine, and the pensions regulators published some guidance for trustees on this. The guidance says, We expect you to be vigilant and talk to your advisors about any action which you may need to take depending on your scheme's investment, risk management or employer covenant exposures. It also notes that trustees should consider actions that may be needed to align with sanctions announced by the UK government, and that they should consider whether to communicate with members on steps being taken to manage risks to the scheme. TPRs also ask schemes to let them know about any significant issues or challenges they or their sponsoring employers are facing as a result of the ongoing conflict, so that it can build a clearer picture of the impact on pension schemes. This is a rapidly evolving situation, and there have already been two updates to the guidance since it was first issued, so it's worth keeping an eye out for possible further changes. Last year, the government suspended the state pension triple lock for the next tax year. Specifically, they dropped the earnings element, meaning that the state pension will increase by the higher of 2.5% or CPI inflation this month. This one-year adjustment was considered necessary following the unique and exceptional events caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, resulting in an earnings increase of 8.3% that the government described as a statistical anomaly. In response to a question in the House of Commons, the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions has now confirmed that the triple lock will be honoured in full for the remainder of this parliament. Given where inflation is at the moment, this means we could be seeing an increase in the state pension next April that's close to or even above the increase that would have been applied this month if the earnings element hadn't been suspended. The pensions minister, Guy Opperman, has revealed that the DWP will be consulting later this year on a package of prospective design principles for collective DC schemes. The regulations coming into force on the 1st of August this year will provide for single and connected employer collective DC schemes, but the government's been keen to extend this more widely. Mr Opperman said, I firmly believe that we should capitalise on the enthusiasm that is building for extending CDC to other types of pension scheme, such as multi-employer schemes and master trusts. I am keen to move quickly, but we must get this right if it is to work. That is why I am calling on all those who are seeking to deliver the full benefits of CDC to work with us to help make this a reality. These comments came at the Royal Society of Arts Collective DC Forum, which also featured our very own Matthew Arends as part of the panel discussion. There's no firm timescale for this consultation yet, but we'll keep you updated on any further developments. The Continuous Mortality Investigation has published the latest version of its Standard Mortality Projections Model, CMI 2021. The updated model reflects an additional year of mortality data in England and Wales. However, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the core version of the model places no weight on data from either 2020 or 2021. The new model will, all else being equal, slightly reduce liabilities compared to last year's model, CMI 2020. For a typical pension scheme, we expect the impact of moving to the latest model to be less than 0.5%. And finally, a quick heads up about a couple of events coming up soon. Firstly, we have a webinar on the 21st of April focusing on smaller bulk annuity transfers. 
AON's Risk Settlement Specialist will be joined by guests from Evershed Sutherland, Just and Pension Insurance Corporation for a discussion on what sub £100 million schemes can do to differentiate themselves in the bulk annuity market. Then in June, it's time for AON's 2022 Pension Conference Series. This year, we've got a flexible format with a choice of in-person events in Leeds, London, Birmingham, Bristol or Edinburgh, or virtual attendance on one of the two dates that are being live streamed. There's lots more detail on dates, venues and agendas on our website, so I'll include a link to this together with a registration link for the webinar in the show notes. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. One of the biggest stories in the news at the moment is the rise of inflation, mainly in the context of energy bills, but also the wider impact on cost of living. We talked about this a bit on the podcast back in November, but that discussion was quite focused on DB schemes. So this month, we wanted to touch on this and the more general issues of adequacy and member outcomes for DC schemes. To help with this, I'm joined by someone who has quite a lot of input on this podcast behind the scenes, but hasn't actually appeared as a guest since 2019. It's Steve Lee. So Steve, thanks for joining me. If we just start with that point about inflation, is this something you've seen DC schemes thinking about specifically? Hi, Ricky. Yes, indeed. I think, you know, when you look at defined benefit schemes, the, the outcome there is pretty much fixed in terms of, um, you know, based on people's service and earnings. And so the increases prior to retirement and pensions in payment are, are well defined. So, yeah, the area I am interested in in looking at is this from a DC pension perspective where you've got far more variability of outcomes. And of course, most private sector employees now are, are saving for retirement in DC schemes as well. And we've carried out some research recently where we, we surveyed DC pension schemes. And what that showed us is that more schemes than ever are now focused on delivering adequate outcomes for members at retirement, which I think is, is really positive. Uh, historically, we'd seen schemes saying that they look to benchmark with their peer group. So thinking about sort of setting the same sort of contribution rates as competitors, whereas now we see see the most popular responses are say looking at to deliver this adequate level of, of retirement um, income. But we do think there probably is still a little bit of work to do in practice to be able to achieve this for schemes. So just reading between the lines there on that last point, are you, are you saying that DC schemes aren't already geared up to deliver good outcomes for their members? Well, I think there's plenty of good intentions there. But but in the same sort of piece of research, we also saw that, that most DC schemes, 63% said they don't really know what the outcome is expected to be for a typical member. So it's very hard for the, for the scheme to say that they're going to deliver an adequate outcome if they're not really sure what that outcome looks like. And the next question, you know, once people think about how much members in their scheme might might come away with at retirement is really, is that enough? And that's that's another question itself. What's, what is a sensible target to be aiming for? And what we've seen in recent years, the retirement living standards, which I know you've, you've talked about before on this podcast from the, the PLSA, I think are a really good guide to try to help pension schemes understand what that sensible, adequate target income might look like for their members. So once they've got an idea of what an adequate outcome looks like, if they're concerned that they may not be achieving those kind of outcomes, what can those involved in running DC schemes do to improve the outcomes for their members? The main levers that you have in, in DC really are, sort of number one, contribution levels, how much are we paying in? 
Number two, what are the investment returns after any charges? And so thirdly, how long are people invested for? How long are they actually in the, the DC plan for? I mean, you've also got how people actually access their savings at retirement. But I think, you know, there's a that's a topic big enough for a, a podcast by itself. So leaving that one for now, thinking about contribution levels, the, the default level set by the scheme is, is really the main anchor for most members. I think we see around sort of 60% plus members tend to stick at the default level. And where they do make changes, if there's a, a contribution matching structure in place, uh, which again is the most sort of popular design from, from our scheme survey, 71% of schemes offer some sort of match, then most members will, will perhaps move to that maximum matching level. So they really are being led by what the schemes put in place, whether it's that default level or, or sort of the matching level in there as well. So members can be encouraged to, to save a bit more. Uh, you know, by sort of educating around how pension saving works, uh, issuing sort of communications and, and perhaps offering tools to help people understand what difference might it make if they saved a bit more into the pension. And what I think is, is quite useful for schemes to be able to do is to look at this across, across the entirety of their membership uh, and using sort of analysis to identify whether there are any particular groups, whether that's sort of different sites and locations or, or different job roles where perhaps employees aren't contributing as much as others and then target these for, for action. And, and this is something I've seen with a recent client I've been working with where they've been able to pinpoint two or three areas where clearly people aren't contributing as much into the pension as, as in other sites. And I think that's really useful because it then helps them, as I say, sort of target some action to, to try and encourage people to save a bit more. So you, you say the default contribution levels are being used as a starting point for many members. Um, I guess the other thing we've got is the kind of auto-enrolment minimums. Would you say that these are high enough to deliver adequate pensions? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a very good question. And I know there's quite a lot of consensus um, generally that perhaps auto-enrolment levels aren't enough to, to deliver good outcomes. But I think it's a bit more complicated. Now. It's not really the same for everyone. If you think because of the way the, the state pension works, um, and that's that's a fixed amount. So, so for perhaps lower earners, the state pension is going to make up a, a significant part of their retirement income. And so actually for, for that group, then yes, perhaps auto-enrolment levels are, are the right levels, uh, and they could be enough. But obviously, for many other people, that's not going to be the case. So really, it's important to try and understand across sort of different earnings levels and different uh, lifestyle expectations, how much is going to be enough. And that's where things like adequacy projections, uh, we've, we've got a tool called DC Analytics that we use where you can have a look across the scheme, not just at what sort of contribution rates people are paying, but also what that might mean for different groups. Um, based on the retirement living standards in retirement and identify, you know, whether people are on track or not. And that, that sort of level of contribution rate is not going to be the same across the board. So while contributions are clearly key to this, I suspect they may actually be the most difficult thing to change. I mean, ultimately, only the employer or the member themselves really has the power to, to kind of make that happen. You mentioned investment returns and time horizons earlier on as the other levers. How can schemes use those kind of things to deliver better outcomes? Well, with investments, again, I think the, the default position is key, um, you know, even more so than, than contribution rates. We know that DC members 
um, on the whole, do not like to choose their own investments, and and the vast majority will will stay in that default position. And also, you know, that's probably not necessarily a bad thing with sort of recent volatility in markets and things like that. It's not necessarily a good thing for members to be making changes in reaction to those when pension investment is obviously a very long term savings, and and actually the default should be designed to take that into account. Um, so. I think it's making sure sort of get the default right, making sure it is invested in a, a diverse enough range of sort of areas to deliver growth, regardless of what we might see in, in markets over the long term. And then also as people get, do get closer to retirement, making sure that there is some sort of level of protection for the savings people have built up. And also thinking about how they might access their benefits. You know, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there's sort of different options that people have in in uh, DC pensions at retirement and that's perhaps the time to start engaging members with how the money's invested is, is thinking about how do you want to take your money and therefore are you in a, an appropriate investment approach as, as you do get close to retirement. I think on the, the time horizon point I mean th this is all about the, the target retirement age really and the um, the state pension age is, is creeping upwards. I know it's sort of coming up to late 60s uh, for people sort of entering the workforce now and even though this is changing, most schemes are still using 65 as a, as a default retirement age and, and some are still using age 60 as well. And th this is one where I don't think we should rely on the default. You know, I think it is a very personal decision when people are going to retire and think about retiring. So although schemes might want to reflect on whether 60, 65 or whatever they're currently using is the right right choice, I think we could also see schemes doing a lot more to explain to the members that it's quite important to think about this, even if even if you don't know when it's going to be, at least having your your individual best guess is probably going to leave you in a better position. And it's important really for two reasons. One, the, the sort of investments that people have and hold as they come up to retirement, as I mentioned earlier, usually there's some sort of uh, reduction in investment risk. And actually, if we've got the wrong target retirement age, then people's money is not going to be invested in the, in the most efficient way for them. And they could be losing out substantially on you know, investment growth or, or taking too much risk if, they, if they've got the wrong age there. Uh, but also just simply in their benefit statements. So every year, people will be getting the benefit statements showing how much to expect when they retire. But if that's based on, a, on an earlier age, you know, just moving that a couple of years later, could could actually make quite a significant difference because not only have you got two extra years of contributions being paid in, you've also got two more years of investment return and two fewer years potentially in retirement as well. So the you know the conversion rate shown would would be different. So actually getting that number right for the benefit statement perspective could really help with people's planning and, and make sure they get a you know a sensible number in their benefit statements too. Yeah. And just to wrap up, so you've mentioned our latest DC research a few times. Is that something people can get access to if they want to find out more? Yes, it's, it certainly is, Ricky. Yes. So we'll I'll make sure I share a link with you to uh, to include in the, the show notes. But um, it's probably also worth flagging that uh, if people want to, having looked at the survey, they can actually still complete the questions themselves to their own DC scheme uh, and then get a personalised report back at no cost. Uh, and that report would show them sort of how they compare or their own DC scheme compares with the wider market as well. And I know that's that's something that quite a lot of people are interested in in doing because it can really help inform decisions and help them make better decisions about their own DC planning if, if they see that in the context of others. 
so yeah please please give me a shout or, or speak to your your usual aon consultant if you if you're interested in this great well thanks for coming on steve and we'll try not to leave it so long until your next appearance thanks thanks for having us ricky thanks just following on from today's interview there are a couple of bonus dc related news items to cover You may remember from last month that the government's going ahead with measures to give members of trust-based DC schemes a stronger nudge towards PensionWise in a bid to improve take-up of pensions guidance. I said that TPR planned to issue some guidance on this and they've now done that by updating their guide on communicating and reporting for DC schemes. Just as a reminder, the new requirements will apply from the 1st of June this year. Also, hot off the press, the DWP's launched not one but two consultations on the future of DC schemes both of which have links back to the government's recent calls for an investment big bang. The first consultation is on proposed changes to the regulations governing employer-related investments, specifically for DC master trusts. The concern here is that the current regulations place a significant compliance burden on these arrangements, as well as limiting their choice of investments, so the proposal is to introduce a new, less restrictive regulation that applies to DC master trusts with 500 or more active members. The government believes this will remove disproportionate red tape while ensuring proportionate member protection is maintained. The second consultation proposes new requirements on DC schemes to disclose and explain their policies on illiquid investment and for schemes with over £100 million of assets to disclose their current default asset class allocation to members. This is something many schemes already report, but the government believes making this a requirement would ensure consistency and result in a significant shift in the mindset of pension schemes and their trustees. Both of these consultations are open until the 11th of May. Okay, that's everything for this month, so thanks for listening and thanks again to today's guest, Steve Lee. I'm off for a much-needed dose of caffeine, but I'll be back with more next month, hopefully recording at a more sensible time. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com. <laughs>